This is Carol McLeod, and I'm your host on the Significant Women podcast. Significant Women is a podcast for women to gather with their personal stories, dynamic hope, and wisdom gleaned from the ordinary days of an uncommon life. Our goal is to simply encourage women in every season that their story matters. When Jesus is involved in the details, every woman's life can be a significant representation of all that He is. I can't wait to introduce you to today's tiny but dynamic guest, Erica Wiggenhorn. Erica is an award-winning author and the founder of Every Life Ministries, bringing the truths of Scripture to transform your life. By digging deeply into God's Word, Every Life Ministries encourages you to discover your unique purpose, to accept God's promises, and to live by His power. Erica is the author of three Bible studies that are titled An Unexplainable Life, The Unexplainable Church, and Unexplainable Jesus. Erica's fourth book, Letting God Be Enough, just released this year. Erica loves to bring God's Word to anyone who will listen, whether it's a large women's conference, a church women's retreat, her own kitchen table, or across your computer screen with her teaching series or YouTube channel. A graduate and postgraduate of Azusa Pacific University, Erica lives in Phoenix with her best friend and husband, Jonathan, and their four children, only two of which are human. The others are furry and adorable. So fix yourself a cup of coffee or tea and lean in and listen to my friend and my guest, Erica Wiggenhorn. Erica, what a delight it is to welcome you to the Significant Women podcast today. You know, you and I have wanted to have this conversation for years, right? Yes. Yes. And today is that day. So I have to tell my friends who are listening because they can't see you the way I can see you. You are one of the tiniest women I know, (laughs) but make no mistake about it. You are also one of the mightiest women I know. So I hate to tell you this, sister, but I'm going to ask you to tell a story about one of the first times I met you in that hotel in St. Louis. What happened to you? (laughs) Do you remember that story? Yes, I do. Tell. Well, it's, it's, so fitting with, of course, where I'm at right now, right? Uh, just coming out with a book on overcoming fear. And of course, as a, you're a Bible teacher, you know, God never lets us teach what we won't live. Amen. Right. And Amen. so a couple of years ago, when I first met Carol, we were in Cincinnati and we were at the same hotel, but we were not rooming together. We had barely knew each other at this point, I think, but, uh, it was about 11 PM, maybe close to midnight. And I was sitting on the bed in our hotel room. And all of a sudden I heard the, you know, the little electronic key thing. And I'm thinking someone is coming into my room. What is happening? And so my very first instinct was, Don't let them cross the threshold because if they shut the door, no one will hear you scream. So I leap out of bed and I get in this stance like a bull 
ready for a bullfight, you know, heading at the <laughs> matador. And I'm running, charging ahead as fast as I can. I can't even see who's at the door, but I know it's not anyone who's supposed to be there because I'm not sharing a room with anyone. And I just start screaming, get out, get out, get out, get out. And there's this man kind of confused, probably had been at the bar for too long. And he's like, is this my room? And I'm like, no. And I push him as hard as I can. And I shut the door and I put the lock on and I'm just shaking like a leaf. And in that moment, I just sense God whisper in my spirit and say, oh, child, look at how far you've come in overcoming your fear. Because even six months ago, you would have just sat on that bed completely paralyzed. But instead, you were willing to face that fear head on and push that fear right out of your room, right out of your life. Well, little did I know, Carol, that that was really going to be the beginning of God really inviting me to push fear out of my life in a very significant way. But, you know, I have just looked back on that moment so many times. And one of the things that I keep going back to was just that thought of don't let them over the threshold. And I think about that as a wife, as a mom, you know, raising a family. And I think about that. Don't let it over the threshold. And how many times I have had to stop and pause and really think about what am I letting into my home? What am I letting into my marriage? What am I letting into my kids world? That once it's in, no one will hear me scream. (laughs) I've got to stop it before it crosses the threshold. And it was just a real turning point in my life. But the funny part about that story is, is the next morning when so many of us were downstairs in the, in the expo center, there were all of these older women down there and they were like, well, we heard somebody screaming, but we just didn't know what to do. (laughs) And I thought, well, it was me. And fortunately, God gave me what to do. Otherwise, who knows what in the world would have happened. So I guess the second lesson is when you hear somebody screaming, call the front desk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Erica, I'll never forget that day. We were all incredulous that you handled it so well, because again, you are so tiny. And as an author group, we were just getting to know each other then. And we were just amazed at your brute strength (laughs) and at your spiritual strength. And I'm going to remember that. Don't let it over the threshold. That'll preach, sister. Might be the name of a next book, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) So in, in just a little bit, we are going to talk about your new book, Letting God Be Enough why striving keeps you stuck and how surrender sets you free. I love it. But first, I want my friends to fall in love with you, to get to know you and your heart. So tell us about you, Erica. We want to be your friend. Where did you grow up? How'd you meet your husband? Did you always want to be a writer? We want the details of Erica's life. Okay. I grew up in Southern California, actually, and uh, met my husband in college. We had friends set us up. They, they 
thought we needed to be together. Apparently they were right because we've been married like a gazillion years now. (laughs) Uh, We have have two children, uh, Eliana, who is 17 this year, and Nathan, who's 15. Uh, God did not grow our family through biology. He grew it through his bounty. We adopted both of these uh, precious people at birth. And looking back now, even though that was a long, dark road to get to that day, uh, looking back now, I can't I can't imagine being anybody else's mama besides Eliana and Nathan. So God knew what he was doing there as well. I never imagined I would be a writer. That was not something ever on my radar. I enjoyed writing. I kept a journal for years of my private conversations between me and, and Jesus and uh, fiddled around with some poetry. I always enjoyed words. I was an avid reader. I still am, uh, but not necessarily ever thought I'd write. Uh, what really compelled me to start writing was my own struggle to read scripture. Uh, when I first became a Christian as a late teen, you know, my youth pastor said, you're, you're going to have to have a quiet time. You're going to have to read your Bible every day. You're going to have to let Jesus speak to you through his words. You're going to have to pray and talk to him. Well, I didn't grow up in church, uh, so I didn't know a whole lot about the scripture. When I came to know the Lord, I, I didn't, you know, have the flannel board stories stuck in my mind. I was starting with a blank slate, and I remember sitting on my bed as a teenager with my little study Bible, with all of Jesus's words in red and being so frustrated and saying, you know, Jesus, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand you? You know, I grew up in, in Los Angeles. I had never, I didn't know what a millstone was, a, a plowshare or a wheat tear or a mustard seed. I'd never seen an oxen. I, I thought it was like a cow. I didn't know. Uh, and it was, I was just lost. It was just lost on me. And I'd go to church and I'd hear women talk about how the Lord spoke to them through his word. And, and I felt ashamed because I, that was not my experience. I was frustrated reading the Bible. And so then I wouldn't read it and I'd feel guilty about it. And I really cycled in that guilt and shame for a whole lot of years until I finally joined a women's Bible study. And I came kicking and screaming, partly because I was embarrassed because I didn't want people to know how little I actually knew of the Bible when I showed up. But it became a life-changing moment for me as they began to help unlock scripture for me. And I thought back on that experience and I thought, man, if I could have had a tool, if I could have had somebody just come alongside of me from the beginning and just walk me through a book of the Bible and understand how to read it and how to apply it to my 21st century Southern California teenage life, how many years of following Jesus I would have not wasted. And that really became a compelling factor for me wanting to write Bible studies is I wanted to put those tools in somebody else's hand. And so the passion of my life truly, Carol, is I want to get as many people as possible. I want to get your face in the book, meaning the book, the Bible. I want to get your face in the book and I want you to live like it's true because it'll change your life. And that's really what I live for. 
So whether I'm going to open up my front door and we're going to all cram on my sectional in my family room or sit around my kitchen table and eat brownies while we're looking at the Bible or at a women's retreat, a women's conference, I just want to open up God's word with you and I want to teach you how to read it and I want to show you how it can change your life if you choose to believe it. Oh, that's one of the reasons I love you so much, Erica, <laughs> is because we have that same passion Yes, yes. of the power of the word of God to change an ordinary woman's life. Um, yes. I always say, when, when women say to me, but Carol, I don't understand the Bible. I always say, that's okay. You know, give yourself time. But let me remind you, we don't primarily read the Bible for information. We read it for transformation. Okay. Men. So the Bible's Amen. doing an inner work, whether your yes. mind is saying aha or not, your spirit is saying aha. So, yes. so Erica, what's the hardest thing you've ever gone through in life? Tell us your hard. Ooh, uh, I've gone through several hard things in life. Uh, infertility, which I mentioned previously, obviously that was a very hard thing. Uh, our, our daughter's adoption was like a Hallmark movie, uh, but our son's adoption was a a very hard thing, but a beautiful thing, because isn't that always the way God works, Carol, right? It's, yeah. Sometimes it's in the hardest things that we see his beauty the most clearly. Um, burying both of my parents before I was even 40 years old, that was very hard. I'm an only child, and so it was a very strange feeling to be 40 years old and have really no family left at all that was hard. It was hard to watch your daddy that you leaned on, your big, strong daddy suddenly become helpless and weak and needing you to advocate for him and make decisions about his medical care. Uh, very hard. Uh, same thing with my mom. Raising our son has been very hard. We knew it would be hard going in. We had no idea how hard it would be, but God has been so faithful. And we've seen him do miracles in our son's life. And so the thing about hard is hard is often where God does his best and most beautiful work. And so I've learned that while hard is never easy, <laughs> it's the hard is the opposite of easy. Hard is often the most miraculous and the most glorious. And so I've learned not to despise hard. I've learned to weep through hard. It's okay to weep and fall apart through hard. Uh, Jesus wept. Uh, Jesus fell apart over the death of his dear friend, even though he knew what was coming just a few moments later, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead and many were going to put their faith in him. He knew the whole time, the purpose of the hard, but yet he still fell apart and wept. And so I've learned to do that through the hard, but I've learned that often through the hard, there's something beautiful waiting on the other side. It's really true. It's really true. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so Erica, what is the one lesson that you might feel qualified to teach other women? You know, I've got a friend who can teach quilting. I've got friends who can teach the flute or the piano. For me, that's never been my jam. But what is the one lesson you feel qualified to teach women? Well, besides helping you pick out the best pair of shoes, <laughs> because I love shoes, <laughs> Let, let's get to something maybe a little more valuable. <laughs> um, 
I would say the one lesson that I feel qualified to teach a woman would be how to move past your fear because Mm -hmm. I've battled fear my whole life and I've seen how God has worked in it and how he's worked through it, but also how I've forfeited a lot of incredible opportunities because I didn't allow God to deal with my fear. And the person that I became once I truly allowed him to deal with my fear. And so for women who are stuck in a place of fear, uh, I'm your girl because I get it. I get where you're at and I can tell you how God moved me past it. And that doesn't mean that I never am afraid. Uh, I think fear is something that we're going to continue to have to fight against and battle against all the way home. That's why God told us, do not fear more than he tells us anything else in scripture, because he knows it's going to be our default as long as we're clothed in this human flesh. It's only when the spirit takes over that that courage and that faith is going to overcome our fear. But I can walk you through some real practical things to help you overcome that fear. Okay, so give us one practical thing. Give us one coping mechanism that you have when fear knocks at the door of your heart. Yes, so when fear knocks at the door of my heart, really, I say my antidote for fear of inadequacy, of fear of not being enough, fear of how this is going to play out, fear of what's going to happen next, that fear, the antidote really is intimacy. It's intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for many of us, if if we were to go out, Carol, and we were to poll a hundred Christian women and we were to say to them, do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that his capabilities are great enough that he could do anything? Probably 99 out of a hundred of them would say, oh, of course he's God. God can do anything. He can do anything he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He's God probably 99 women would say that. But if we were to then say, okay, so you believe that God is great. You believe his capabilities are great. How many of you believe that his character is good? Now we might get 75 out of a hundred women that'll say, yeah, I, I believe God's character is ultimately good. We'll have 25 that'll say, well, I used to believe that until X, Y, Z happened to me or to someone I loved. And then if we were to follow it up and say, okay, you believe that God's capabilities are great. His character is good. What's your hardest thing you're facing right now in your life? Do you believe that God will be good to you in that hard thing? Now we're going to get a whole lot less women than they'll say, well, they'll say, well, I want to believe it. I want to believe it but I'm believing my doubts and I'm doubting my beliefs. I'm struggling to believe it. I'm wrestling with doubt now. And that comes from intimacy with God. The only way we're going to move past believing our doubts and doubting our beliefs is intimacy with God. Because to trust God's character, Carol, always happens within the context of relationship. We don't know someone's true character. We don't know someone's true colors until we know them, right? We, we just have a perception of who they are. 
but the reality of who they are comes from relationship with them. It comes from time spent with them. It comes from seeing what they do and how they act in myriads of situations and all different types of relationships. And that's really what the story of the Bible is, right? It's a story of God and how he acts in all different circumstances and, and who he shows up to be in all myriads of relationships. That's the story of scripture. And that's why to overcome that fear, we need intimacy. We need intimacy with him. And that comes from time in his word. And while we would love to have three easy steps to overcoming our fear, there's no shortcut to intimacy with God because it's relationship. It's relationship with him and relationships take time and relationships take intentionality and they take investment. And we know this, you know, intrinsically, we know this. Like if Jonathan, my husband were to say to me, Hey, Erica, let's, let's go out on a date night, Friday night. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, great. I love date nights. I love spending time with you, honey. Let's go. And we get to the restaurant and we each slide in the booth. And my husband starts, you know, asking me like, you know, how was your day? What's going on? Um, And I start, you know, telling him what's going on with my day. But at the same time, I'm rummaging through my purse because I want to get my phone out in case the kids call. And then and then a text message comes through. And I realize I forgot to answer somebody who needed something from me earlier that day. And so I had written it down somewhere on a piece of paper in my purse. So now I'm rummaging through my purse, trying to find that note somewhere. How long will it be? before your husband just stops talking to you. Now I don't I don't want to I don't want to assume what your husband is like, but I'll tell you my husband in about 3.2 seconds he's done. He's like you're not even listening to me. You're not paying a lick of attention. Your mind is somewhere else. You're trying to do 20 things while I'm trying to share my heart with you and hear your heart. He just he checks out. And that's what we do with God, right? We want this intimacy with God. We want to know that God is going to be good in our situation. We want to know that God understands truly how we feel, even though he's God and we're this wrestling woman with her doubts in the moment. But yet we won't pause and we won't stop and we won't allow God to really hear us speak. And we we won't slow down enough to really share with him what's really going on with us. And we wonder why he seems far away and we wonder why he's silent. And we wonder why we continue to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. Well, because we're not pursuing intimacy with him and no relationship will continue to thrive without intentional investment not a human relationship and not our relationship with God either. And while that's hard because we just think, well, he's God. Can't he just swoop in and fix it? Why does, why does he need to, you know, have relationship with me? Well, because he wants us to understand his character because once we understand his character, then we can move forward in faith. And those doubts that we're wrestling with no longer sound off in our heads because we're like, no, 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 I know God. That's not God. 
what I'm thinking right now is not my God. That's not how he treats me. That's not how he feels about me. That's not what he thinks when he looks at me. When he sees me weeping, he's weeping too. When he sees me rejoicing, he's dancing in front of his throne. When he sees me wrestling with doubt, he's the first one there to to send his Holy Spirit and remind me of the truth of his faithfulness and his power and his kindness and that he's got a plan and a purpose even in this. That's the God I serve. But that comes through intimacy. Yeah, and Erica, I don't know if you've struggled with this, but being in the ministry, I have to, you know, because when I study the word to prepare to write a book or to prepare for a teaching, that's different than intimacy. I still have to have my own quiet time. I still have to get on my face just to be with my dad. So um, sometimes I think those of us who are in ministry think, oh, well, this is good enough that I'm studying the word in order to prepare a sermon or to to jumpstart a book. Well, that's great. And I'm glad you write from a faith perspective, but we also have to cultivate that personal relationship that belongs to us and our daddy our good, good father. Well, I can't wait to discuss Erica's new book with her. But first, let's take a break so that I can share with you some of the resources that my ministry offers. Did you know that this is not my only podcast? I also host a weekly podcast, A Jolt of Joy, on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's a podcast that focuses on teaching the word to the women of my generation. I hope that you'll join me there on the Charisma Podcast Network every week. Also, I write a weekly blog titled Joy for the Journey. Unbelievably, my blog has been listed in the top 50 faith blogs for women. If you'd like to sign up to receive my blog every week in your inbox, you can simply go to my website, carolmccloudministries.com, and sign up there. Also, it is my delight to speak to women at venues large and small. If you're planning a retreat or a conference, I'd love to talk to you about coming to leave a word of joy and hope in the lives of the women who attend. I speak on everything from breast cancer to infertility to depression to teaching vibrant Bible studies that I've written. You can email me at carol at carolmccloudministries.com. I'd love to hear from you. But now, let's get back to my conversation with Erica and learn about her new book, Letting God Be Enough. So Erica, tell me what other significant women have impacted your life. Do you have any heroes, any role models that have just enlarged your life? Yeah, I would say one of my greatest heroes of the faith was my grandmother. Uh, My grandparents moved in with us when I was about 13. And that's really why uh, our family started going to church was because my grandparents moved in and there was no way uh, you were going to live under the same roof with my grandfather and not be in church on Sunday. So, uh, but my grandmother, her middle name was Ruth and my middle name is Ruth named after her. But she really exemplified the Ruth in scripture in a lot of ways. Uh, My grandfather was an officer in the Navy. She traveled all over the world following him. You know, where he went, she went and made the best of it and served 
And I remember uh, at the end of their lives, which is why they ended up moving in with us. My grandmother became diagnosed with cancer. And every Sunday morning after our church service, uh, the pastor would hold a special prayer service and the elders of the church would be there and they would anoint my grandmother's head with oil and they would pray and ask God for healing for her cancer. And every Sunday, my grandmother would pray the same prayer. She would say, Lord, please grant me days on this earth to fulfill my wifely duty to Jack. And then I'll be ready to go home. And that was her prayer every Sunday. It was just the simplest of prayers. And, you know, as a young teen, I did not even understand what wifely duty meant. But what I did understand was here was a woman who had spent her entire life serving alongside of her husband and being open and willing to do ministry, however and wherever God placed her. She was there to serve. She was like, you know, here I am, send me. That was her heart. And miraculously, and of course, this doesn't always happen, but God did heal my grandmother's cancer and allowed her to live 10 more years. And she buried Jack and fulfilled her wifely duty to him. And no less than three weeks after my grandfather passed away, 10 years later, my grandmother's cancer came back. And within six weeks, she went home to be with her Jack and Jesus. And that just gave me such a rock solid faith to stand on. It taught me that I don't need fancy prayers. I just need simple faith. It taught me that faith honors God and God honors faith. Mm. And she lived her life full of faith and she knelt down on that bench every Sunday. And I know that even if God said, no, you're going home first, she would have gone home with faith, but she lived her life to serve and to love and to do that with excellence and to do it well. And so it's just a role model for me when I think about opportunities and relationships and tasks that are before me, am I going to do this task with faith or am I going to operate out of fear? Am I going to do this task out of a duty or am I going to do it out of delight? And I just think of her so often and just her humble way and her willingness to just show up and have open hands and an open heart to God. And that's how I want to live my life. I love it. You know, I ask this question all the time on the podcast and Erica, it's interesting. Nobody has said a name that was instantly recognizable. You know, it's, it's not the people who are leaving a big footprint in terms of popularity or notoriety or um, entertainment um, world or finance, all of us as women have been significantly impacted by our moms and our grandmas and our Sunday school teachers and the neighbors and our best friend's mom. And I think that's a real call to the women of our generation Mm -hmm. is that you have more influence 
than you would dare imagine just by living well, just by living a life of faith, mercy, compassion, joy. That's what gives a woman significance. So I love that story about your grandma. Yeah. So I just have to share one of my favorite quotes with you. Sure. D.L. Moody said, uh, you know, his whole ministry started with a Bible college for underprivileged girls. And his whole tagline, his whole mission behind that was he said, seminary begins around the kitchen table. And it's true. The things we're teaching our families around the the kitchen table, those are going to be the things that impact their entire life and that they take with them and that will mold and shape the decisions that they make. So, you know what, when you're slapping that peanut butter on that 67th peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the month of September, your kids are going to seminary right then and there. And, and don't forget it because, because you are 100% right, Carol, they're going to forget what they heard on TV five minutes ago, but they're going to remember your faithful service. They're going to remember your loving heart. They're going to remember your joyful countenance. They're going to remember that you were always right there with a chocolate chip cookie at three o'clock when they came home and had a terrible day at school. Right, right. It's no wonder the Bible says that to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a servant. You have to learn how to serve others well. Okay, so Erica, you have this new book that's just come out titled Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. Now, I know that it is a book about self-doubt, about insecurity, but you've based it on the life of Moses. Tell us about Moses. Tell us why uh, the man named Moses sort of drew you into writing a book about him. Yes. So I affectionately refer to Moses as the greatest self-doubter of the Bible. And what struck me about Moses was a couple of things. When I studied the book of Acts and the way Stephen describes Moses in his sermon versus the way Moses is described in essentially his autobiography in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you would think that surely these have to be two different people because the way Moses describes himself is completely different than the way Stephen described him, which we know is the way the people of Israel for generations would have thought of Moses. And so he sees himself completely differently than the way everyone else saw him and clearly the way God saw him. And so that really jumped out at me. The second thing that really jumped out at me was how God dealt with Moses's fear of inadequacy, because you know, when, when my friend Kim looked at me and said, oh my goodness, you have imposter syndrome. You struggle with a fear of inadequacy, don't you? And I had never heard of imposter syndrome. I didn't even know what in the world that was. And I began researching it. It's just this, this prevalence of self-doubt and that you just feel like, you know, the failure is just awaiting you around every corner, no matter how much success you've ever had, no matter how many things you've been able to accomplish, you still see yourself as not enough. And you still think 
that the next thing that's going to happen is going to be a train wreck. It's just this cycle of thought. And I began to research it and I noticed a couple of things. One, how prevalent it is, this tactic of the enemy to flood us with self-doubt and insecurities and fear of the future and fear of failure. It, it's like an epidemic among women. But the second thing that I really noticed is the way the world tells us to deal with it, Carol, is, you know, we're supposed to unroll our resume and cite all of our successes, remind ourselves every day of the things we've been able to accomplish, um, all of our skill sets, the things that we're good at, the things that we like about ourselves. And that's not bad advice, because I think as women, we generally downplay our giftedness and our strengths way more than we ought to. That doesn't honor God. We're essentially telling God, you know, when you made me, you didn't make anything very great. Like, I think you made some mistakes here, God. I mean, that's not honoring to God either. But while it may be good advice at some level, it's inadequate advice because there are things that we are going to face in this life. We talked about the hard things I've faced in this life already where we can look in the mirror all day long, we can unroll our resume and it could be 500 feet long. There's nothing on it to prepare us for the season or the assignment that we are currently facing in our lives. Only God is going to be the one to get us to the other side. And so Moses essentially came to God asking that question, like, you know, why, why me? Like, who do you think I am that I sh I should have this assignment, God, that I should like, what is happening? Why would you pick me? You know, this is, this is entirely beyond me, God. And in that moment, God does not do that for Moses. He doesn't unroll Moses's resume and give him all the reasons why he's the guy for the job. He doesn't give Moses any props at all. He simply promises Moses his presence. It's right there in Exodus 3, beginning in verse 10. Moses is like, who am I, God, right? And God doesn't even really answer that question for Moses. He simply tells Moses three things. He says, my presence will go with you. He promises his presence. Second thing is he promises fulfillment. He says, my presence will go with you. And when you have led the people out. I know you write in your Bible, Carol. I write in my Bible. <laughs> I, I have that win circled a whole bunch of times because God did not say to Moses, and I love this. He did not say, okay, if Moses, if you are spiritual enough to hear my voice, you'll lead the people out. Or Moses, if you are obedient enough to me, then you'll lead the people out. Or Moses, if you are a strong enough leader or wise enough, or spend enough time sitting at my feet, then you'll lead the people out. God doesn't say that. There's no if, there's just when. Because God's plan for Moses's life, God's plan for your life, for my life, for anyone out there listening today, God's plan for your life does not depend on your performance. It rests on God's promises. God is the one who does it. But here's the part where we can begin to forfeit some things because God promises his presence. There's nothing we can do to ever lose God's presence with us, right? He tells us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God promises fulfillment. 
He says, when you lead the people out, we have that same promise too, right? Like he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Here's the third part. God says, when you lead the people out, you will worship me on this mountain. Or some translations say, serve me. And essentially what God is saying to Moses there is, you're going to understand how worthy of your worship I am. You're going to witness my wonders. You're going to have an intimacy with my character. You're going to know the greatness of my capabilities. You're going to know the goodness of my character. You're going to know the faithfulness, the compassion, the abounding love that I am as the I am. You're going to know all of those things when you say yes to this assignment, Moses. Intimacy. It's a promise of intimacy. And here's the part that we might miss out on, Carol. We won't miss out on his presence. We won't miss out on the fulfillment of his plan for our life. But we will miss out on the intimacy. We'll miss out on the wonders. We'll miss out on the goodness of his character and his faithfulness and his compassion and his abounding love. If we refuse to say yes, if we stick our feet in the sand and we say it's too big, it's too hard. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. This is beyond me. Go pick somebody else. Yes, here I am, God, but go pick my brother instead. (laughs) We'll miss out on that intimacy. We'll miss out on the ability to witness his wonders and experience the amazingness of all that he is. And so we have to make a choice at that point. What are we going to do? And Moses chose to follow God. And he did. He experienced amazing wonders and he experienced an intimacy with God that I'm not sure any other human other than Jesus, who is human and divine, experienced on this earth, right? He was in the tent of meeting. He came out radiant, right? It says God spoke with Moses face to face as with a friend. He had an intimacy with God that, man, I look forward to that, right? Like when Paul says, you know, now we see through a veil, but one day we're going to see face to face. I long for that day. I want that kind of intimacy with my father. And I think what God is showing us in that account, in that conversation with Moses is, look, if you're going to say yes to me to overcoming these fears in your life, you're going to experience that radiance of being in my presence. Are are you game girl or not? Oh, Erica. Now you've just wet my appetite. I cannot wait to get this book because what I love about you is you take a common human dilemma, insecurity, self-doubt, and you attach it to the eternal truth and the non-negotiable promises in scripture. There is power when our pain meets the promise of God. That's where we're living in power. So for my friends who are listening today, if self-doubt has been your battle, if um, you look back at the years of your life and say, you know, I've never really thought I was anybody special. I never thought God really had a plan for me. Everybody else, you know, Lisa Turkhurst and um, people like that, but not for little old me. Oh yes, he does. 
And if you want to connect your life, even the brokenness of your life to the promises of God, I think Erica's book, Letting God Be Enough is a great way to start. So Erica, we can get this book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian book distributors, Moody, and tell us about your website. Yes. So uh, my website is just my name, ericawigginhorn.com. You know, and maybe you're listening today and you are one of those people, you know, you could really maybe relate to my testimony and intimacy with God is a struggle for you. Reading your Bible is a struggle for you. Hop on over to my website. I have a free three ebook bundle. It's there to download. You can just take it. But in that bundle, there are two resources that I think would prove very helpful to you. One is an ebook. It's 50 Days to Intimacy with God. Uh, it'll help you grow in that intimacy. It'll help you begin to unlock scripture. Uh, and the second one in there is a busy woman's guide to praying for your friends and family. If prayer is a struggle for you, you, you try to talk to God, you sit down, you don't know what to say. You don't know how long you're supposed to sit there to listen to him, uh, wait for him to speak, go pick up that resource. There's some real simple steps, practical strategies to help you grow in your prayer life. If prayer is a struggle for you. Um, so go, just go check out those resources. Um, I created them because like I said, uh, I get it. And my passion is to just help everybody to get their face in the book and live like it's true. Yeah. And we'll have your website in the show notes so people can just click on it and, and go right to your website and Hey, I'm going to go get them the prayer one. I need that one. I'm going to go get that today. <laughs> so thank you. Okay. So now I should probably reread it again <laughs> myself now that, I, now that yeah. I'm mentioning it. <laughs> Okay, so now I prepared you, Eric. I said we like to have fun at the end. And so it's it's our lightning round. It's our speed round. I like to call it, it's a few of my favorite things, a few of Erica's favorite things. So I'm just going to volley some things out there and you're going to do your best to respond okay. quickly, okay? I feel like I'm on family feud. You should, you should. That's how <laughs> you should feel right now. Okay, <laughs> what is your favorite worship song? You know, that song that goes into your heart and the tears roll down your cheeks and you can't sing because you're heaving. What's that worship song for you? Oh, my current one right now is the new CC Winans song, Believe For It. Stop it. That's mine I have too. That on full blast when it comes on. It's like, crank my girl CC up. We are going to have church right here in the car. I know, me too. I listened to it last night before bed. Okay. Favorite podcast? Well, Carol's podcast. I mean, come no, on. Somebody come else. On. <laughs> I we both love Janelle. Yeah, yes. stronger every day. Uh she has a great podcast. Uh Stephanie Roussel, Gospel Spice. She has a great podcast as well. Um I also really like Eric Nevin's podcast. He's got one, it's called Halfway There, and it's just regular everyday people sharing their testimony and what God's doing in their mm -hmm. life. So good. Yeah. Do, do you like Tara Lee Cobble? I like her a lot. The Bible recap. Oh, oh sister. Oh, you got to listen to that. The Bible okay. recap. Okay. That's for the everybody. Bible recap. I'm writing that down. Yes. Okay. Favorite movie. Oh, favorite movie. Uh, my favorite movie is The Proposal. <laughs> Chick flag, chick flag. Favorite oh, way to read. Like, I love uh, 
Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on her name. How can I blank on her name? I can't think of her name Miss either. Conge Miss Congeniality. Oh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. You can't go wrong with Sandra no, Bullock. No, you can't. Or Meg but, Ryan. And yeah. Yes. But Betty White in the proposal is hysterical. Okay. Okay. Good. Good to know. <laughs> favorite way to rejuvenate. How do you recharge? My favorite way to recharge is to throw on my camelback, shove my Bible in the back pocket and go hike up on a mountain mm. and read some scripture. I can picture or, that. Or sit along the beach. Mm-hmm. I'm a beach girl too. Favorite dessert. I'm sure you don't eat dessert. You are so tiny. But if you were to eat a dessert, what would be your favorite one? Oh, my favorite dessert. So I just found these at the grocery store. It's like, get behind me, Satan. But <laughs> they are ice cream bars. They are vanilla ice cream bars with toffee and Biscoff cookies. And then chocolate covering. Like I love Biscoff cookies. I love caramel. I love chocolate. And I love vanilla ice cream. And it is all rolled into one thing on a stick. And it is the best. And I live in Phoenix. So, you know, it's, it's 109 here today. Every girl needs a little ice cream. But I've been having more than a little ice cream lately. I'm just going <laughs> to admit it. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? That's easy. Thanksgiving. Okay. Absolutely. Gratitude. Uh-huh. And because yeah. you're a Bible girl, tell us what is your favorite scripture? Oh, I say I would say one of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, the woman in Luke 7, beginning in, in verse 35, where Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house and she rushes up to Jesus's feet and just begins weeping over Jesus's feet and wiping his hair. Um, wiping his feet with her, her hair. I love it because I, that woman is a woman that we're told was, she was invisible. She was shamed in her community. Nobody saw her. They all knew who she was, but none of them knew her. Uh, they just, she was an object in their community. And when Jesus says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? And I love that because it's like, you know what, Carol, sometimes when you are all alone in your house and you know the things that make you weep at night and you know the things that make you worry as a mom or a grandma and you know the, the hard that you're walking through in that moment, I go, Jesus sees me. Love Nobody it. else may. Nobody else may understand. Nobody else might get it. A lot of people might not even know, but my Jesus, he sees me. Yes. Yes. Well, what a perfect way to, to stop today. Jesus sees you, my friend. He sees you. He knows where you are. He knows your pain. And he's intimately involved in all of your ways. So Erica, as we close today, would you pray for us? I would love to. Okay. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, your heart was to leave the glory of heaven, clothe yourself in human flesh, and live among us so that we might know your character, we might know your heart, we might see 
how you long to touch us, be close to us, talk to us, listen to us, eat with us, laugh with us, weep with us. You are the God who desires to be among your people. You are the God of relationship. You are the God who sees us. And so, Jesus, for the woman out there who is wrestling with, am I enough for this season of life? Am I enough to parent this child? Am I enough to uh, get through this financial setback, to care for this aging parent, to walk through this health crisis, to stand firm in faith as I wait for a prodigal to come home? Am I enough, God? that you would just remind them today that you are enough. You are more than enough and that you will always be with them and that you have a plan to get them through to the other side. There's no if, it's just a win. And you are the faithful God. And it will come to pass because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And so God, I just pray for that woman that she would be reminded that you do see her and that you care for her deeply and that you are collecting her tears in a bottle and that you are greater than all of her worries and all of her fears and that God, you have a plan for her life and that while life may not feel like a crisis, maybe it feels daily and mundane the way Moses's life felt in Midian for 40 years as he just woke up and did the same thing day after day. And maybe that's how life feels for her right now. That even in that, you are working out your plans and your purposes for her life. You're forging relationships the way Moses forged a relationship with Jethro. You're forging uh, bonds with her family members. You are using her to teach them what faithfulness looks like and what service looks like. And so I pray, God, that you would fill her with joy, even in that dailiness, that you would remind her that you are always doing something bigger in and through her than she can see in that moment. And God, mostly I pray that you would bless her. I pray that she would feel an intimacy with you as she never has before. I pray that you would surround her with other women to cheer her on and encourage her. And I pray that you would uh, just reveal yourself to her in a special and in an intimate way right now in this very moment that she would be reminded that she is never alone and that when you look down upon her, you smile, you sing and rejoice over her because she is your daughter and you see her faithfulness, and you see her faith, and it blesses you, Jesus. Bless her this day in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Erica. You're Thank a you. mighty, significant woman. As are you, my friend, hey. and I am blessed to call you friend. Me too. Isn't Erica just the best? Don't you just feel like she's your new best friend? Whenever I talk to Erica, I feel like I'm speaking with a woman who is seasoned and that her words are truly apples of gold in settings of silver. If you'd like to connect with Erica, you can visit her website, which is ericawiggenhorn.com. And please do yourself a favor and go out today and buy her new book, 
Letting God Be Enough. You might also want to buy a copy for a friend or two. Thank you for joining me this week on Significant Women. I hope that you will share this episode with your friends, as well as leave a review on our hosting platforms. Just a few words of recommendation literally means the world to us. And now, I want you to remember that on good days and on hard days, in easy times and in the challenging times, that you are significant because you have been made in the image of God. He has stamped you with his power and with his creativity. He has given you his mind and his heart. You, my friend, are a significant woman.